This podcast is dedicated to the memory of Janet Harrison. Welcome to In the Village, a prisoner intro cast. Uh, today we are going to be talking about the comic Shattered Visage. But first, my name is Shane, and I'm joined by Aaron. Salutations. And John. Hello. And, and now we're back on schedule. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we are joined today by uh, Rue. Hello. Uh, but as I said, today we're going to be talking about Shattered Visage, and uh, Vu is much more of an expert on this than I am, so he's, he's agreed very kindly to lead the show, so over to you. And I only agreed at very short notice, so you bear did. with chaps, okay? You did, you did, you did, and I'm eternally grateful. So you say visage, I say visage. I say okay. tomato, and you say tomato. <laughs> yes. It's by Dean Motter and Mark Asquith, who, who wrote the script. And uh, the art's by Dean Motter. And I hope I'm pronouncing Motter correctly and it's not Motor. Uh, I honestly don't know. So if someone wants to jump in and correct me on that. Um, I thought it was Motter. We're okay with Motter. Okay, well, we'll move on. We'll, we'll, we'll go to book A, which is yes. A Rival. And it begins in London. Um, we know it's London because the first page shows us Nelson's column. We're not going to we're not going to talk about the uh, memo. Well, I'm looking at the original comic rather than the graphic novel. Oh, okay. Yeah, in the in the graphic novel version, there is a memo um, detailing what the village is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's got actual production slides from the show. It's got um, what looked to be. Uh, Look like they, they took images and then drew over them on yeah, the show. Yeah. And then it ends with a uh, big picture of uh, Patrick McGowan. Yeah. It's an interesting art style for the time when you think 1988. I mean, you could, you could do all sorts of weird and wonderful graphics now. But at the time, 
this was kind of unusual, this this look, that we're going to see repeated through the comics. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like realistic, but stylistic at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's an interesting artist, this Mr. Motta. Um, Do we know if he did anything else after this? He, well, at the time, he was kind of famous among comic book geeks for a comic called Mr. X, which, uh, although we had a character called Mr. X in The Girl Who Was Deaf, it was no relation to, to the prisoner. It was a completely different subject. But at the time, back in the 80s, he, he was kind of famous for that when he got this gig. Um, I can't remember who published that. It wasn't DC. Um, DC Comics published this. And by the way, we ought to mention that, that Marvel had given some thought in the 1970s to a prisoner comic of their own. And um, Gil Kane had done a couple of sketches, a couple of pages, which you can find on the internet. And the legendary Jack Kirby actually penciled the entire first issue. It wasn't inked completely, but it was penciled. And that exists in its entirety. And um, hopefully one day someone will finish inking that and publish it because it's brilliant. You can find it on the internet if you go looking for it. Yeah, but if it ever gets published, they'll, you know, they'll have to send half the royalties to the estate of Jack Kirby. And they should. They should. It's worth it. it it's just, you know, it's this Jack King Kirby and Patrick McGowan. I mean, yes. wow! <laughs> That that I mean that quickens the old heart for you know those of us us of a certain vintage. Indeed. Yeah. Anyone born in the nineties is going what? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to all you millennials listening, I, I do apologise. So should we should we crack onto London? Yeah. Please do. And um, now I don't know why, um, but very prominently on the first page we can see the front of a car. It, well, I say it's a car. It might be a hearse. Yeah, um, I, I yeah. thought it was supposed to be one of the hearses. Right, mm. okay. Uh, and, and it's got the registration plate WHX101, which is a pre-1963 registration plate. And I don't know why this is prominent. I, um, if there's some meaning to that, it's gone flying over my head. It did at the time, and it does now. So if anyone else has any ideas... Um... No, I have no idea. The, the the nearest I can think of is 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 Room One Hundred One in 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 uh, George Orwell's Nineteen Eighty Four. But you know, it's that's that's a bit of a, a reach. So I I don't know. But I'll, I'll just mention. Um, I, I mean, um, on your podcast, I think you get people sending letters to you, don't you, Shade? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, on mine, we get bricks through the window. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> You know, if someone knows, maybe they'll write in and... and yeah, and... if anyone knows, please email us. Someone will give the contact details at the end of the show. I bet Sergeant Drano knows. He knows everything. Possibly. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, moving on from the car. We see uh, a youngish woman, and she's being tailed by various people, if you look carefully at the artwork. There's uh, a guy in a motorbike, and there's a bloke in a trench coat, and there's another shady guy with, with, with dark glasses... And a hat, who seems to be following all of them. And I just wonder, did you spot that? Uh, the people who, who I, I know, one of us has only heard the uh, Broken Seas audio adaptation of, of uh, Shattered Visage, Visage. Um, but those of us who were, who were reading the comic, 
did you spot that straight away or did you go back and look later on um on my second reading through i noticed that but i didn't mm. see it on the first one and for me uh i actually listened to the broken sea audio first uh-huh. before i read the comics so i knew what was happening right okay well this woman she she goes who seems to be very popular she goes in a bookshop and on sale in the bookshop we can see something called the village idiot and they're really pushing it. Um, if I just reach over for my comic, I can see, you yeah, know, the, the, uh, there's, there's, there's a book stand and it says, uh, bestseller, retirement resort for spies or secret prison, the shocking truth. And if you were around back in the 80s, um, you'd probably be linking this to a book that came out uh, in 1985 called Spy Catcher. I don't know if you chaps have heard of it. I have, yes. Right. That, well, it was it was um, quite an infamous book at the time because okay. um, it was the autobiography of a senior intelligence officer uh-huh. called Peter Wright, and um, it had been banned in Britain. And the publishers got round that by releasing it in Australia, and it became a massive bestseller. Okay. And this was a guy spilling the beans in the way that an ex number two is spilling the beans in the village idiot. So uh-huh. that's what that all that's about. Okay, cool. Okay, and you you can look that up on Wikipedia, and um, hopefully MI five won't come after your podcast now, Shane. Well, I hope not. <laughs> hey, there's a weird hearse pull up outside my house. Hold yeah, on, guys. <laughs> um, we also see this lady looking at. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> we also see her looking at the cover of a of, of a magazine. It's called British Sailing. And she's on the cover. She's on the cover. And we find out her name because it says Drake's Voyage. She's called Drake. Yeah. Now, I wonder what uh, it's like to use that name. <laughs> I wonder. Okay. Right. She leaves the bookshop and then she... And this is lovely. This, this is, this is marvellous for me. She goes into a red phone box to make a phone call. There's, there's <laughs> not, not a mobile or a cell phone. It's a phone box. <laughs> oh, wow. I miss phone boxes. And then she returns home to da, 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 One Buckingham Place, SW1 um, London. Yes. Yeah, she lives in uh, number six's house. She does, doesn't she? Lucky her. <laughs> and um, now it's, it's, very, it's very important to pay attention to what Dean Motter does with his art. I, I think he's a brilliant artist. I, I, I've seen people criticising this art. But I'll tell you what, it tells the story and it tells it well. He, he doesn't waste panels. And what, kind, what kind of, uh, sorry to interrupt Larry, what kind of um, uh, criticism do they have? People say it, 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 it's sketchy or scratchy. Oh, okay. So which I'd say, well, let's see your artwork and, you know, we'll compare yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, it's a stylistic choice. I mean, it is. You know, people, people are allowed to not like the artwork if they don't. Oh, yeah. I think, I think it's perfectly feasible for the story. I mean, it, it fits the flow of the story. And, I and there's, yeah. no, there's no, like, well, shock well, transitions halfway through from one art style to hmm. another. So it's consistent all the way through. It really is, and isn't it? He, he stays on model. For the most part, I mean, there's a couple of variations, but you know, it's it's perfectly ser- serviceable art for the story. I I was reading a, a copy of a, a Justice League of America recently because I, I I really am a bit of a comic geek. I've been reading them since 
I found a Superman comic in my barber's back in the 1960s when I went with my granddad, you know. And um, But I was reading this Justice League comic and I couldn't understand what was going on. Uh, the artwork was superb and the dialogue, you know, that was lovely. But it was like um, the artist and the writer were in totally different rooms as far as what was going on. Um, and I think I think people could learn by looking at, at Dean Motter's artwork because he, he, he really does tell the story well. And something that's telling, and I was going to ask you chaps about it, what you thought of it, is we get a close-up, we, 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 we see Drake opening the door with a key. Yeah. So, so what does that make you think? Um, I'll tell you the truth, I didn't really uh, put much thought into it. Nor did I, if I'm honest. That, 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 that's, that's, that's the thing about Dean Motter. I mean, he, he puts things in for a reason. We're meant to notice them. Okay. Well, think back to Fallout. What, you know, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I understand. Yeah. His house, what happens? Yeah, the door swings open, yeah. It's well, not you... the case. Yeah. It's, it's a perfectly normal door here, which might not seem important now, but remember that. Keep that in mind for later on. Hmm. So Drake gets a phone call, uh, probably in answer to the one she made from the phone box earlier. Yeah. And she's told that the biker who's been following, following her is an agent called Martin Lake. Mm-hmm. Now, hang on. She's resigned from her job, so how can she get that sort of inside info? I'm, sort of, I'm jumping ahead saying she's resigned from her job, but yeah. she has. We're going to come yeah. to that yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the chap in the trench coat turns out to be her husband, Thomas. Yeah. Thomas is a bit rubbish as a spy, I think. I don't know what you what what your you chaps think of him. If you've got any opinions yet. But uh he he didn't he didn't spot he was being followed at all. No. No one said he was the greatest spy in the world. No. He's and and, and I think we we're, we're going to see as the story progresses he he really is not. I mean he's he's kind you'd want the guy from Get Smart rather than Thomas. Yes. So I think the whole thing with, um, with with Drake telling Thomas that he's been, he's been tailed though is is Motta telling us to look back at the previous panels, yeah. and it's almost saying, look, be observant with with this comic. It's not like flicking through the pictures in a Superman comic. Mm-hmm. I've got something to say to you, so so watch, and that that that's the reason why I really like uh, Dean Motta's artwork. Uh, there's, a, oh, there's a bit of a continuity error, though, I'm afraid. I'm going to subtract one mark from him here. Okay. Because uh, the interior, I don't know if anyone else noticed that, of uh, uh, Buckingham Place has aspects of Number Six's cottage in the village. Yeah. Um, the keyhole doorway leading to the bedroom, that, 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 that's specifically part of Number Six's cottage in the village, not, not his London home. Yeah. That, if you remember back to Arrival... Uh, that whole section was hidden behind a, a sliding wall. Yeah. So, so, you know, he loses a mark there, but, but the rest is great stuff. Uh, we find out that Drake resigned after something happened to some people called Joanne and Max, whoever they are. Um, and telling us that she's resigned and why she's resigned, that's not an issue like number six. She just, she just says straight out, this is why I resigned. So she's, you know, straight away, you know, we're seeing differences between um, our new hero and the old guy. Um, she boots Thomas out, as you would. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm sorry, I can't stand the man. 
And uh, I think one of the reasons I can't stand him is because he now owns KAR 120C. Yeah. Ah! How, how did that toe rag get hold of that Lotus 7? It's so annoying. So he drives. And of course, that's not something present in the audio version. We don't we don't get to find that out. Nope, there's no mention of that at all. Oh, that that he owns it. Yeah. You know, we're, nope, we're there's kinda, no, there's no mention of that in the audio version. Okay. We're, we're kind of glossing over a bit um, when when she's talking about why she resigned, and then uh-huh. we find out that um, Drake and Max have been married and they have a kid. So. That that adds that, that that obviously adds to the hurt. Yeah. That's that's deeply yeah. affected her because she's a parent too. I mean, I, I expect it would hurt her anyway, but she's a parent too, so she maybe sympathizes on on an extra level. So yeah, getting back to the car, um, Thomas sets off for work, and this is strange because we see him driving down the runway that we see number six driving down at the start of every episode of The Prisoner. Yeah. And honestly, that's not on the route between Buckingham Place and Abingdon, <laughs> Abingdon Street car park. It really isn't. Yeah, but has anything really ever made sense? <laughs> well, that that particularly does not make sense. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's probably just an obvious homage to the series. It is, they're, yeah. They're, to they're to aiming fair. to, you know, oh, hey, look, he's got the same car. Yes. To be, to be fair, I mean, they... I, if I was as good an artist, I'd probably want to draw that scene and be looking for an excuse myself. So he's forgiven. Um, so Thomas works in the same place that, that our old number six worked and um, in, in a department called Excavations. And he answers to a chap called Ross, who's the director of, of a, director of operations. And he seems to be a, a friend and an ally of Thomas's. Um one interesting thing is that we we see we see um, Thomas pass the resignation filing cabinets uh, from from the opening credits. So we've got a lot of echoes of the TV series going on. And at the moment, I, I, did you find that annoying or jarring, or were you were you okay with that? Um, honestly, some of it seems a little out of place, especially later in the, the series. Yeah, or, yeah. but. Um... I think just as a first issue, they're just trying to establish that yes, this is the prisoner. They're they they've all got every one of the major characters has some sort of connection to six in this story. Yeah, it it really seems so because um, we're we're going to meet another character. We're going to meet Colonel J, who presumably not necessarily, but I'm presuming it could be Kevin Stoney's character from Chimes of Big Ben. Um, I don't know if you remember him, the chap with the tash. Hey, really? Yeah, it's possible, but it's, uh. it's possible. Or it might, or it might be that that Colonel J is just a, a a job title, and that's something we'll come back to later as well. Yeah. But um, for me, there was something slightly off about him because he says he reads the mail. So um, must be a bad guy. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's that's our equivalent of watching box news. You say, so. Oh, okay. Or should I stay off that topic? <laughs> I'll move moving quickly. Please on. do. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Shane. I'm ruining your podcast. Yeah, <laughs> we do a good enough job without it. It's fine. Yeah, seriously. Okay, but um, what what we're seeing here is 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 kind of more sort of George Smiley spy territory than say Man from Uncle. 
Um, you know, it's not James Bond either. These don't seem like the sort of guys that you'd send after Smirsh, if you see what I mean. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's got any follow-up comments to that. Don't let me talk over you guys, because I'm, I'm not used to doing this. <laughs> you know, say, Roo, Roo, we need to speak. <coughs> let us talk, you know, if, if you need to. So, it turns oh. out that um, number two, as played by Leo McKern, is about to be released from prison. No, oh, he already was. So... It was part of the uh, the plea agreement that he was able to publish that book. Yeah. That, uh, and they're discussing this in uh, Max's office, and they're concerned that he'll uh, that he's uh, given away too many secrets. Mm-hmm. Why on earth has that particular number two been sent to prison? What about the other ones? We're going we're going to learn later that Mrs. Butterworth wasn't sent to prison. Yeah. Why that number two? Uh be rebelled at the end of uh, in drawn fallout that's an interesting thought yeah he's he's the one who actually turned around and spat in the eye of his his masters yeah however we're gonna you know thinking back to that key in the door earlier and that it didn't ho- open electronically we're gonna find out that that some of the stuff we saw in fallout didn't necessarily take, happen yeah, in this space, yes. so yeah thomas believes that number two is a threat and it's not really explained why Thomas is so obsessed with this number two. Although Thomas ghost wrote the village, the village idiot. It's going to turn out. So um, yeah, because they they make a mention that they uh, they had to heavily edit it. From yeah, yeah. The original manuscript to the to um, what got published. So again, you've got those those parallels with Spy Catch. On, but. Colonel J suggests that that Thomas is is trying to you know get more resources because he's empire building, and I think he might be right personally. I I don't quite see why some desk jockey like Thomas is getting you know is exerting himself about this this number two to the extent that he is. It's like it's like there's a little piece of the puzzle missing, and even when I get to the end of the story, I'll never I I still won't quite understand his thomas's motivation um thomas tries to resign and colonel j almost treats the resignation with contempt he just you know he's, oh, Don't he, be a he ends up burning it yeah yeah he burns it with, you know with his cigar doesn't he yeah. you know it's, it's, i've had yeah. to you know the contemptuous <laughs> feeling about it and the artwork it, it, it shows thomas looking crestfallen yeah. and he looks like a, a little boy before he's headmaster mm. he's you know i, I Honestly, Thomas is pathetic. Mm. So, uh, anything that needs adding to that scene before we move on to St. Catherine's Academy? Uh, let me just say that the in uh, in the novel, in the graphic novel, it, you're, you're certainly are right. It does come across as pathetic, but that doesn't come across as well in the audio. Mm. I don't know. In the audio, I, I, he 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 seemed a bit more competent, and that may have just been with the voice acting yeah. and everything. But yeah. I really I. I really don't think he was empire building as it was implied because that same scene is is done audio wise and the director kind of really seems to be more of the the sinister he sounds more of the sinister one than Thomas and some Thomas just seems to be really really obsessed because he wants to he wants to know more he he seems to be really huge on information gathering but other than that, from the audio, I didn't really get that he was really trying to empire build. Right. I mean, maybe, maybe as you say, maybe it's just that, you know, he has got a thing for information. Um, I don't I think didn't... he brought that out enough in the comic. 
Yeah, I I never got the impression reading the comic that Thomas was uh, pathetic. I I got it. I got the the impression that he's a guy who's been kind of beaten down by his job, and he wants to do everything within the rules. <laughs> but he's in a job where you have to occasionally break the rules, and he doesn't want to do that. Like he's, I, he's I, the kind I, of I... he's the kind of guy who instead of using the spirit of the law to get his thing done, he goes exactly by the letter of the law, and that ends up hampering him in the end. Mm. That's interesting. That's an interesting take because I w- I was looking at him kind of a, as someone who's been promoted above their ability. But you could be right. Um. So we we meet um Drake's daughter. I'm not sure if it's pronounced Megan or Megan. Um. Uh, I thought it was Megan. I would have said Megan myself because I'm an old-fashioned kind of a chap. But I have heard it pronounced Megan. So um. I think I've never heard it, it pronounced Megan. Okay, well it, maybe it, I just hang around with some very strange people. But uh, we we get a, a charming little scene of Drake is leaving, and she is instead of uh, letting Thomas take care of the kid, she has put the kid in a boarding school. Yeah, which I don't think Thomas is happy about later on. He, he, he uh, he'll he'll talk about that later. But um, he, yeah, he takes, he takes a bit of umbrage with it. Yeah. Well, she does. She, I mean, you know, she doesn't trust him with with their own kid. You know, she she, she doesn't think highly of Thomas herself. Um, I'm going to save my my comments okay. uh, on that for so toward get... the end. Okay. But uh, I I have some some issues with Drake. Oh, good, good. That's glad to hear it actually. Um, and uh, Drake gives the poor kid uh, Alice in Wonderland and the Secret Garden. Yeah. To read. Uh, there's going to be a lot of so- people. Do yeah, because because you know, live. giving a kid who's being you know uprooted from her home and put in a place where she doesn't want to be, giving her <laughs> two books about you know isolation and <laughs> finding escape that that's that's a good thing to do, right? Yeah, I mean, you know that's that's not going to you know screw with her head at all. It's like, oh yeah, I'm leaving for my round the world sailing trip because I can. Here's some <laughs> books. <laughs> Love it. It's all terribly soap opera-ish, this, this isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it really is, you know, the 1980s here. I mean, I, I could imagine this as, I mean, in the 1980s, we were getting lots of remakes of series from the 60s on the TV because the actors were kind of still kind of young enough that they, they could come back. You could get Robert, Robert Vaughn to come back and do Return of the Man from Uncle or Lee Majors and Lindsay Wagner to come back and do Return of the Six Million Dollar Man and, and The Bionic yeah. Woman. Um, and I could imagine this being made as one of those sort of TV movies um, uh, and this being all, you know, shot on video and being absolutely hideous, this, this, this section, this... Uh, real soap opery bit and um drake and megan when they say goodbye it, it's very symbolically through the bars of the academy gates um my friend thomas he's gone off to meet his apparently american contact lee who seems to be uh permanently wearing a number five jersey yeah so there's he's significant. <laughs> you know he's very stereotypical american the fact that they meet in the mcdonald's it's terrible. It, it really is. And you think, wow, this is an American comic book. I know it's about a British TV series, but they, they're they really kind of forcing the stereotype. They're almost, you know, there's almost arrows pointing, saying, look, stereotype. Yeah. So maybe there's more to Lee 
going on than, than we think. Well, there is. Yeah. I know that. We'll come, we'll come yeah, to that. We'll come on to that later, I think. Okay. But who does Thomas think that Lee is? Um, I, mean, he, I mean, initially, he doesn't have a very high opinion of the guy. He kind of questions everything he does. I don't know so that, that he questions him so much as he whines at him constantly. <laughs> you know, oh, dear, they won't let me do this and that. Oh, my bosses don't trust me. My wife doesn't love me. Nah, nah, nah. Well, I really don't like Thomas. Um, you just don't like him because he got that car, right? That oh, oh <laughs> it, it rankles. It really does. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. But if if I mean, it, it looks like we're saying, you know, cards on the table, unlike the TV series. It looks like we're saying Britain was behind the village in in this take on the story. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. And and Thomas seems to invite be inviting Lee. And whoever Lee works for, I mean, you're probably, when I first read this, my assumption was probably the CIA. He's inviting the CIA to come and crawl all over the village, which is one of Britain's greatest and most darkest secrets. I mean, even your closest allies, I wouldn't have thought you'd want crawling over the village. I mean, if, if America had a village, I don't think you'd want the British looking round it. So, so that's all very strange, I thought. He puts a lot of trust in, in Lee. They must have some sort of backstory, I would have thought. Um, I figured they'd, they'd probably worked together in the past. Mm. Oh, and again, that sinister-looking man in the hat is following. You know, Keep an eye out for him. He's, he, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's there. All these London scenes, he's, he's somewhere lurking. Yeah, that motorcycle is back, too. Not for long. Because... <laughs> <laughs> uh... Getting ahead of ourselves. Anyway, we yeah. we uh after you know their their conversation through the park, we get a uh, transition to um, Drake is at her boat with the TV crew. Yeah, her boat's called the Vorpal Blade. Uh, so... Vor- yeah, Vorpal Sword is a phrase uh, used by Lewis Carroll, of course, in his nonsense poem Jabberwocky. So you know, yeah. for a few culture lovers listening in, you know, we've just name checked it. Also, Monty Python fans too. <laughs> If uh, if you anybody plays Dungeons and Dragons and you get a Vorpal Sword, yeah, there you go. Ah, there's a tip. Ah, uh, yes, we're at Port Muscat Yacht Haven. I wonder who that's named after. I have so, no idea. Despite the fact that he's having Lee sabotage Drake's onboard computer, I thought he was putting in a tracking chip. I well, I thought they would. He was doing something to to make it go off course and head towards the village. Rather than a tracking chip, but you you could be right. But but if you are, why is she going anywhere near the village, or is that just coincidence? Um, I I thought the whole village thing was kind of an accident because I thought right. he was putting a, a tracker thing in her in her boat so that he could keep an eye on her. Could be because they I make a mention that what is it? Um, a historic voyage, solo, unpowered circumnavigation of the globe. Mm. And she wanted to do it in like the fastest time or something, but you know this is the if this is the eighties. That's been done a couple of times by then, so <laughs> I, I don't know exactly how historic it's going to be. Um, but, I guess it would have been a big deal, and she certainly made the cover, you know, of, of Yachting Weekly or whatever it was earlier. So, but even though he's got Lee doing this, you know, he's either putting a tracker in or he's sabotaging the should I say ship or boat? I'm I'm never quite sure. It's a ship. But he's, he's it's doing a ship. the ship. He's doing he's doing something to it. Thomas 
Thomas, who's in on it, is still trying to talk Drake out of going at all. So I think he, he must he must still love her. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, as much as he wants information on the village, he, he'd still pull back from that if he could get his wife to stay at home with him. And he even tries to to uh, use Megan as leverage. Um, he, he, he tells Drake, you're going to leave her a prisoner at boarding school. And unfortunately, she, Drake replies, and it's really clunky, I thought, I will not be pushed. And it just sounds really out of context somehow. It, 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 it leaps out at us as prisoner fans, but I just thought well, it, it's an odd thing to come back with. Um, I, I think that's just probably a failing of the writing because they're trying to put, you know, yeah, this is this is definitely in the prisoner's world. Yeah, yeah. See, see. I, I think I think it's going to become a problem. That there's going to be too many references. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll say that now. It it starts to grate a bit. You should, yeah, okay, yeah. There's another. <laughs> and and it, and it kind of takes me out of the story as well. I don't know if it does you chaps. Um, a couple of times, yeah, because it seems like they're interrupting the natural flow of dialogue just to, you know, oh, hey, prisoner reference. Yeah. Um, as Thomas leaves, we see poor old Martin Lake, the motorcyclist, he's being stretched away from the wreckage of his bike while the man in the hat sort of looks on, you know, sort of. Yeah. So, to see. Um, and we get, we, we, get, we get some scenes of um, Drake sort of enjoying her voyage. See, see, it all seems to be. Uh, says the holiday begins. Yeah. See the vorpal blade, and uh, we see Drake in a bikini, which must have been nice for the teenage boys reading the comic. And <laughs> bit of fan service there, and uh, she's watching the dolphins. And then, yay, dolphins! <laughs> <laughs> just be, just before they leave the earth. So long, and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> and. Um, I think Dean Potter, thinking about it, I've just he might have been involved in DC's adaptation of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Thinking about it, so uh... Wait, DC did an adaptation of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Really? Oh, Marvel and DC picked up properties all over. Oh, did, I did not know that. How do you think we got Rom Space Knight? Yeah. Oh, I remember Rom Space Knight. He was great. Yeah. Oh yeah, Rom Space Knight. Yeah, we'll have to do another podcast about Rom Space Night. <laughs> we, we totally should. We could as well. So there's a storm starts brewing now, in the night. Now, a, a problem I had was they, they'd gone on, you know, pointing out specifically in the dialogue that she's on this unpowered, you know, historic circumnavigation, and yet she's yeah. got a uh, weather control computer on her ship. It's like, oh, storm warning. And then the screen goes fuzzy. It's like, well, you know, if you're unpowered, you know, but yeah. you still have, you know, Doppler radar tracking. It, what? It kind of looks a bit futuristic for the time, actually. I, I, I mean, I'm, I might be wrong saying that, but it, it, it kind of looks a bit kind of advanced anyway, that system. But, um, yeah, the weather starts getting rough and the tiny ship's tossed. And if, if it not wasn't for the, for the courage of the fearless crew, crew. a three-hour <laughs> tour, <laughs> the vorpal blade would be lost. A three-hour tour. Anyway, so, welcome to the um, round podcast this week, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, her boat ends up capsizing, and then she lands on a beach. She certainly does. Yes, and it's a beach with um, a penny farthing buried in the sand. Because, um, you know, those are... 
That happens all the time, right? It, it, Going around the beach, uh, you find a penny farthing. They're very common. Yeah, you know, yeah. seashell over there. Penny farthing over here. There. Penny farthing. Yeah, and um, it and she's just been reading the village idiot. So I presume she's thinking that's a coincidence. I've just been reading this book about a prison for ex-spies that uses a penny farthing as its motif, and here's a penny farthing. And the next thing she finds is a village. An overgrown, abandoned really? village. Yes. Yeah. And um, pretty murky colours as well. It, yeah. Uh, used in the comic for this. I'm, I'm, I love the artwork, but I'm not entirely a fan of the color colouring. Um, yeah, but it gets, here it works well. Well, it, it's obvious that they're taking photo stills from the show and yeah. recolouring them. And yeah. you know, um, damn it, there's a there's a technique for it, and I forget what it's called, but. Uh, they're obviously doing a lot of that, and personally, I think that's that's a drawback that they could have done, you know, less with that because you didn't like that. It's, it's well, it's so saturated. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> there. There are scenes where it's really hard to tell what's going on because the color is so saturated. Yes, I think I think we were kind of going through a bit of a transition phase with comics back at that time as well, where they'd gone from cheaper paper. To, to, to slightly better quality paper and, and but they were still using the old kind of colour processes and it and, and they weren't kind of matching up so well quite then but I I'm, as I say I'm, I'm not generally a fan of the colouring in this in this story but but the, these opening scenes of Drake arriving in the village um, I'm okay with um, oh and and much in keeping with with the series um, when she's sort of walking around the village, the route in comparison with Port Merion sort of really makes no sense. Yeah. So you, you know that's that's very similar. Um, um, I, I think they're I think they were going off the whole uh, the village is actually on a tropical island thing from yeah. um, what many happy returns. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. But, so, uh, so, as so she's going really through, started. she hits a uh, hits a snare trap. So there's someone in the village. Yes. Anyway, sorry, I didn't need to talk about it. No, no, that's that's all right because I was about to miss that out. So I'm glad you did. Um, but but the thing is, she, she she has been shipwrecked here rather than sort of finding the village at the end of a tunnel, just you know, not very far London, from London. Yes. <laughs> Again, that key in the door, and now this. You know, it's telling you that there's something not quite right about the final episode of the prison that we saw. It's it's not kind of matching up with this story. Um. So, she makes her way up to the Green Dome, and um, I can assure you in real life, um, those steps leading right up to the front door, they're, they're not like that. That's that's total artistic license, but it does look good with a sort of, you know... Um, I, would, I would like to point out something. Um, yes, please. As we are... As she is going through the village for the first time, she comes across the the map. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's been broken, and someone has written, My Village. My village yeah. over the over your. I love that. In fact, I love that so much. I'm amazed I didn't mention that actually. I've got a map of the village on my wall above where I'm talking to you now. Uh -huh. You know, the computer, and I've actually scratched out your and replaced it with my. Oh, cool! Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> which is entirely due to this comic, and I forgot to mention it. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so yes, she makes her way up to the green dome, or, or, yeah. and, um, and she comes. Another digression. She comes across one of the camera statues that's been broken. 
yes. So someone has been living here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's not. It's not like it's just. It's not natural sort of you know wear and tear that that things are just tumbling down. It's somebody broke it. Yeah. Fat blazer. Yes. Um. Well, inside the green dome, she actually finds someone. She, you know, and, uh, be, you know, being recently shipwrecked and having packed away through this jungle into this strange village that apparently she's not recognised yet. Uh, you know, she's pleased to meet this person, and um, we don't get. To... They have a very odd conversation now. <laughs> yeah, because he is responding with uh, everything that uh, they said to him yeah. when he first got to the village. And this is one of the few times it works when when they're doing the quotes. It's not yeah. it's not overdone here. It, 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 this really works because the whole reversal, and it really is a reversal because, as we've kind of hinted at there, it's our old number six. He's sat in the chair. He's he's wearing the the scarf of office and holding the shooting stick of a number two, and he's calling yeah. Drake number six. It's... Meanwhile, outside the dome above the village. The, the, the end of the issue we see lights or something seems to be landing it's aliens obviously yes. obviously yes obviously, <laughs> that's that's where we're going so what did you aliens? think of that first as, as an introductory sort of you know um i mean i don't know if you've you read the whole thing as a graphic novel or i mean i mean i, t- I had to wait you know till next month for next issue to come out originally and and that was i i really enjoyed that first issue it, it really grabbed me and uh i wanted to know what happened next so i don't know what everyone else thought um as an introduction i don't think it's very good oh, right okay ah good tell us why well um there are so many hints and homages and you know again with the art being kind of murky in places Mm-hmm. Um, this is obviously made by fans for fans, uh-huh. and if you're just somebody new coming in and trying to pick this up, you're not going to have any idea what's going on. Uh, I mean, that that may be what they're trying for, but they're they're being deliberately obtuse in places. Um, there's, it, it just seems like their their only market that they were trying to 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 go for was just you know people who knew what the prisoner was. That's a thought. It would be interesting to hear from someone if 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 they this was their first experience of the prisoner, what they would make of it. And then, my goodness, what would they make of the TV series if you know if they did enjoy this and then went back and watched the the, the TV series? Mm. Uh, oh, screaming rage, maybe. Oh. <laughs> what did you think, Shane? Well, it's, inter- it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, thing that someone just said there. Um, because I'm going through the second the same feeling as you did Ruby, right at the moment. Hmm. Because, uh, my goodness, I'm actually going to throw that name out yet again. Um, the uh, Orphan Black have just released their own set of comic books. Right. Uh, um, not serialised like Shattered Visage is, but um, telling the backstory of each of the main characters. Right. And in the... Um, in its own, uh, each issue with a different character. Right. So it's quite interesting to find out if a person who's never seen Orphan Black before yes. would be reading it, you know, what would they think of the comic book? Oh. It, it would be interesting to find out that, yes. I um, I generally don't, I don't know, I don't know what you chaps think. Um, I generally don't think that 
TV tie-in comic strips work. And, you know, I've, I've read lots over the years. I mean, you know, I've read uh, comics based on Star Trek mm. were, were probably my first. And then, you know, um, Battlestar Galactica and uh, V in the 80s was going on. And there are comics of Doctor Who. But I, I never quite... You, you, despite the fact that I'm kind of a fan of all those shows uh-huh. and I'm a fan of comics, I, I don't generally think that they they, they work. But I, I think this is one of the better examples because it's finite, whereas whereas those were all sort of ongoing series of mm-hmm. comics until they got cancelled, of course. I think V was cancelled after about 18 episodes, something like that. Someone will correct me. Um, uh, v, v started off as a miniseries... And then it got a second miniseries, and yeah. then they tried doing a uh, a continuing series, but that ended up getting cancelled. Yeah, oh, no, no, I'm thinking of the the, the comic strip based on oh. it, and and that was a problem for the comic strip because the series kept reinventing itself, and um, especially when it became V the series, and they were kind of yeah. flinging away characters left, right, and centre, and the, I, I think that was a real difficulty for the the, the people writing the comic, but. Um, no, just in general, though, I, 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 I don't usually enjoy... I, I can't think of many TV or movie adaptations in comic form that I, that I have enjoyed, to tell you the truth. I, I don't know what you chaps think. Have you got any you like? I know it's a prisoner podcast, but you know, throw out any names. Well, I don't mean, I don't want to mention it again, but I'm going, I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I'm loving the... Orphan Black. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you're obsessed with Orphan Black. Yes, I am. Come on, I'm gonna have to watch Orphan Black one of these days. Yes, you are. <laughs> okay, shall I get onto Book B then? Have we exhausted that, that topic? I don't want to. I don't want to turn this into an Orphan Black podcast. Because... Yes, you do. Go <laughs> <It> on. Totally <laughs> does. <laughs> because my fr- my good my good friends in that. Uh, Lizzie and Janice do a very good Orphan Black podcast called Clone Dance Party, which you can find on iTunes. Right here. Noted. Welcome to the Advertising for Other Podcast podcast, people. Hey, I've, I've been on that at least half a dozen times by now, so... That's fair enough. Hey, it's your podcast, Shane. <laughs> you mention whoever you want, mate. <laughs> Often <Off and> black. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know if that's the thing. No, it's not. No, It's the theme for the 80s version. Yes. <laughs> yeah, B, please. B. We're going to be here for hours. Okay, book B by hook or by crook. Um, Drake wakes up in Number Six's cottage, and it's a pity that um he doesn't uh, Dean Motta doesn't use fart balloons. If you notice, yeah. Uh, we only know from the people what they say to us. The, the, there are no internal monologues going on. And and it's a pity because I could, I'm she must be thinking, hey, this this cottage I'm in, it looks just like my house back in London. Yeah, she doesn't even comment on that. No, no. and you know she goes rifling through it. We we, we see her looking through the prisoner's pantry. Um, but but it's like all, all the tins in in the cupboards are all sort of cobwebby. So you know number six hasn't been sort of raiding the tins for food. He's not been there with his tin opener, sort of you know. Yeah, but, uh... and. She, she ends up tasting the tea that yes. he prepared for. She ends up pouring it out because yeah, it's obviously. well past its due date. <laughs> is it that or is it Dr- that a drug? Oh, that's what I picked know. up. And it comes with a welcome to your home from home card, you know, which going back to Arrival, which is uh, a nice touch. Mm. It's um, 
not a jarring sort of reference that 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 that, that one worked for me that. and um she could she goes through number six's wardrobe as well and i'll tell you what he's got he's got more choice of clothing than we ever saw on tv because there's like t-shirts with penny farthings on them and, and ties with keyhole motifs um you know but we only have assignment the, the blue jumper and the the uh, pipe blazer yeah and um i did notice that rather than an rather than an electric razor he's he's now got a, a cutthroat razor which uh i guess is because he's got no power but he's not exactly shaving anyway because he's got a great beard, big bushy yes. beard. Mm. and oh she also finds a an old sort of torn copy of the tally ho and the headline is vacation holiday begins at last and um i i, I guess that's to do with when you know people were taken out of the village yeah. And it makes you wonder what on earth must have happened to some of those people because a lot of them were just completely insane. They'd lost it. I mean, they, those poor, poor people, the prisoners, not the guardians. Um, mindless so it did go through my, my head. Mind, Where would you put those people? I was going to say mindless automatons is the word I would spring to mind. They, they, Especially they that be... one guy in the pink room who was all like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you mean. <laughs> What um, happened to that guy? Yeah, well, indeed. What? What? Where would you put all these people? I mean, even even the more functioning ones who were just walking around the village, you know, with the capes and perhaps just, you know, with the stupid grins and and you know, mindless cabbages, as uh, Shane pointed out. What would you do with yeah. those people? That, that that's something that you know. I, I wish there'd been some mention of that. You know, I, you know, about what their fate was. Uh, meanwhile, back in London, um, nothing much. I don't know if anyone wants to comment on <laughs> what was going on back in London. Um, just flicking through my comic because that's, <laughs> that's all I wrote on my note was nothing much. Oh, Thomas is having a cup of tea and yeah. uh, he has a, a, a little chat with... Uh, oh, he's shredding files, uh, which will be important later on. And um, Oh, it turns out that, that Ross likes a, a, a little drop of the hard stuff in it in, in, uh, instead of tea mm. but any, anyway there's there's a little bit of talk about you know what happened to uh, Martin Lake and it's, it's, it's just page filler I thought that section uh, we just wait to get back to the village unless anyone's got anything to say not about really that. no but uh, we, we go we, we head back to the village and I don't know if you, you noticed but um, the mini moke that um, number six has claimed for himself he's changed the number plate yeah K-A-R, 120C. <laughs> and um, he's giving Drake a uh, little tour of the village. And um, what one awkward thing I thought was um, number six quoting his own catchphrase, saying, I am not a number, I am a free man. Um, there's going to be more and more of this kind of thing now, and it starts getting annoying. It's, it's almost as if... Um, the characters who were in the TV series know that they were in a TV mm. series and, and they're quoting the lines and, and, and sometimes they're even quoting one another's lines and lines that they weren't in, even in the room to hear. Um, and it just it, it, it just starts jarring now. Um, I don't know if others felt the same, but, but it, it, it bugged me. I have to, yeah. I have to be honest with you. Get in as many references as we can. Mm. That's what we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do a tick box thing on all the references now, but uh, I'll mention a couple of them as we go along. But mainly, they, they, they are starting to annoy me now. Um, now, 
there, there seems to be um, a good rapport between Number Six and Drake, and and and, and they don't even know one another. You know, they've just, they've just been. You know, she's just been thrust on him in a way. Yeah. You know, she's just out of nowhere. He wasn't expecting her, and you know, she wasn't expecting to be in the village. And 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 yet, they they they, they really seem to gel. Um, I, it reminded me a little bit of um, how he took Alison under his wing in in the Skitside Man. So I think there's a bit of a precedent for him to for you know mm. having a a friendly relationship with young women. You know, totally platonic, being Patrick McGowan. Um, of course. But, you know, um, it, it didn't seem out of character for him. I don't know what anyone else thought about that. Um, he, try, he, he tries, um, he does a card trick on her, you know, he's, uh, pick a number. And um, it's, it's a bit of an odd sequence, this. Um, yeah, because they go to the uh, clock tower. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're having this discussion as they, 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 they go up the stairs, which are... Um, a lot less, uh, a lot more user friendly and less rickety than the way you get up there if you go to real Port Mary, and you, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a daunting exercise getting to the top of the Campanile. <laughs> and um, she's she's kind of she she's telling him she she just opens up to him. She she's the you know she's 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 the anti number number six yeah. anything mm-hmm. because she she tells anyone everything they want to know. She'll tell you why she resigned. And all you know, her complete life story. You know, she might be a great spy in other respects, but you know, keeping things to herself doesn't seem to be one of her strong suits. And there's a lot, there's a lot of back and forth between uh, between them about freedom. And and really, you've got to read the comic because I I, I, I you know, I, otherwise I'd just have to kind of sit here reading it out to you, and I I, I don't want to do that. But he plays a card trick on her, and then. Pick a, pick a number yeah. between one and four. And she picks three. Yeah, which is predictable, apparently. Yeah, and, and he's written out, apparently, written out on a piece of paper. Mm. And, and, and and then one thing I will quote is, he, he gives us, it seems that he gives us his philosophy. He says, you'll never be free unless you view everyone and everything as suspect. Well, that's not my idea of freedom. But there are two ways of looking at this scene, and, and jump in if, if any, you know, if anyone wants to jump in on that. But I, I wondered, is is that really his philosophy, or is he trying to say, look, I've I've I've, I've just pulled a quick, a fast one on you. I've just I've just tricked you. You know, you, you should have realised that. Um, so is that really his philosophy? That you know, he's, he's still a prisoner of his own old spy school mentality. Or is he just saying, I've just done a trick on you and you didn't notice, and you should have done? I don't know. Maybe it's not important, but I thought I'd bring it okay. up. And then, um, if you're reading the comic, rather than listening to the audio of it, uh, you'll see that Drake puts the piece of paper with free written in it, um, in a hat band, which is like um, Alice in Wonderland's Mad Hatter, with his, uh, in this style, ten shillings and sixpence card. So that's that's just a throwaway. I, d- I don't know what people always try and bolt Alice in Wonderland onto the prisoner for some reason. And I can I can sort of understand it, but well, I find that most people put Alice in Wonderland on just about everything. But, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't read too much into it. Okay. Um, yeah, they continue the tour, and uh, oh, we, we we see a sign for the Palace of Fun. Which um, is a place that um, it's mentioned on the maps of the village, but we never actually saw in the series. So I thought it's it's nice that um, Dean Motter put that in there. Actually, you know, we didn't quite get to see the Palace of Fun itself, but the sign was there. 
And um, while this tour's going on, we keep seeing cutaways at the bottom of the page to Leo McKern's number two, who is studying photos of the village. And it looks like he's in the embryo room from Once Upon a Time. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure what the suggestion is there, if, if any. Um, because he seems to have made a base for himself there. Because we then, we then see him packing photos and bits and bobs in, into a suitcase, which the butler then carries for him over to the control room of the Green mm. Doe. And that's, that, that's all going on sort of at the bottom of the page. It's, it's sort of little cut. It's very cleverly done. You, you'll have to, you know, look at the comic to see this. Um, but, you know, uh, meanwhile, Drake and number six go around the village and we, we see, you know, old favourites like the graveyard on the beach. Oh, and there's... The, there's, the um, there's Yeah, the chessboard, yay. And there's also, uh, there's a new location um, which Motta bring, brings to uh, the prisoner in the village, which is a, a water mill. But it, it looks right. It re the way he's drawn it, it fits in. I, I could honestly imagine that existing somewhere in Port Merion, you know, maybe, you know, down the beach somewhere. I, 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 I could see that being there. It, it, it doesn't look like it wouldn't be out of place. And that's, that's going to be, a, it's going to be an, a, an important location later on in the story as well. Um. So it starts getting cold, and and um, six well, officers jack in. Well, while they're going around the village, they're oh yes, about okay. um, well, we see the stone boat too in one panel, but uh, no, he um, there she's he's kind of giving her like a talk about how the village works, mm -hmm. kind mm. Of, very vaguely, because um, she asks uh, <coughs> uh, how he got there, and then he responds with "I retired and found myself here." Yes. Um, she asks where the other villagers are. He says free to go and how he's free to stay. Um, <laughs> how he left the uh, left the game, then the game left him. But the thing is... Uh, and then he's putting this... up scarecrows because reasons. Oh, yeah. The thing is, though, they're having this conversation. She's read the village idiot. Mm. Should, you know, she ought to say, hang on, this is the village. I, I, we don't know if she's thinking that. But, but you, you don't really get an indication she is. It's like she's just take, taking this at face value, that she's been washed up in this, this place with a you know, very strange architecture and the, this very odd man. Yeah, and I don't know, again, we're not privy to her private thoughts, so, you know, maybe she does know perfectly well where she is, but it doesn't come across that way. I don't know if it... I can't remember if it did in the audio drama. Uh, um... I remember. Not that I have a fool. She had some inkling that it was, but I don't think she ever it ever stated right out that this is the village. It's a village. It's it's a resort of some kind, and it's completely abandoned, but well yes. maintained for the fact that it's somehow abandoned. Mm. Yes. But she never she never in the audio it's never come across as she she never seems to connect the dots too well. It's like, yeah, because she's she's supposed to be a, you know according to everyone else in the story she's she's the real super spy she's the real she, deal she's the best yeah. and that's why we're afraid she may have defected yeah but yeah. she's not acting like it <laughs> she blabs her mouth about her entire life story and doesn't put him into you know she, this is the village so yeah. I don't know I, d I do well, like uh, the character though I, I mean I might hate her her ex husband. <laughs> But you know, I really can't stand Thomas. But I, I, I do like Drake. You know, she's, she, you know, she's a, she's a fairly good heroine to, to follow. And, and it would be interesting 
if it had been made as a TV series in the 1980s, you know, who, who might have been cast in that role? I mean, you, you know, you could play that game in your head and maybe people could write into the podcast for the, you know, the next episode with suggestions. Of well, that would be good. Who might have played Drake? Yeah, you know, I'll uh, I'll listen in and I'd look I'd I'd love to hear what people think. Who do you think would have played her? I've no idea. I mean, I just said that off the top of my head, and I would have to sort of go away and think about that. Okay. Who, who was around in the nineteen eight in nineteen eighty eight specifically? Who who might have you know? <laughs> who who would they have got? Um, hopefully not Kate Mulgrew. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll think about it and I'll get back to you. I'll I'll I'll, yes. I'll send a letter in. I'll answer my own question. Please do. But you know, if other people do as well. And you guys, who who do you think? So um, and 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 seeing as we're, we're sat talking about com- comic strips, I know it's DC, but we'll we'll give you a Marvel no prize. I'm sure Stan Lee wouldn't wouldn't mind us <laughs> um, if we if we steal one from his office. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. This, he this, ends up uh, catching fish as we're yes. going back to the cup. And um, she, uh, what is it? Um, she, she talks about um, him delivering tea this morning, mm. and he says, "Tea? That wasn't my, that wasn't me." Mm. Yeah. <laughs> then we see someone has invaded the office, the very bottom of the page. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. So yes, it's all it's all go back at the green dome. Um, yes. Yeah, so um, yes. So she she's wearing his jacket, and she finds. Um, the other pieces of paper with numbers on one, one, two, and four. So she realizes yeah. it was a con. You know, she's been hard, and she chucks the pieces of paper in a in a, in a pond and walks off. She says, "I'm, I'm going for a stroll," and he says, uh, "Be seeing you." And uh, she she walks past all these uh, statues, which you, I, I guess he's sort of been having fun, sort of lopping the heads off them and yeah. smashing mm. them with. Uh, cricket bats and things, you know, to entertain himself in, in the 20 years he's been you know, hanging around. And she's looking out to sea and the, the, the moon's up in, in the sky. It's, it's a nice scene. And suddenly, kind of echoing the moon up in the sky, we see Rover being launched. And, he just um, pops out of the water and comes after her. Yeah, and uh, that, this is, you know, I mean, she's new to Rover. You know, she, you know she, she, she's... Um, I mean, remember... Um, before Number Six was attacked in Arrival, he'd already seen Rover in action mm. attacking a villager when he was when he was getting the tour from um, Guy Dolman. Yeah, but, um, it's it, it, it's good the contrast that how she tries to deal with Rover. I mean, he 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 tried to have a fist fight on his first encounter. Yeah. If you remember, she runs for a boat, grabs a sail, and acts like a matador. She's like using it like a matador's cape, and and she doesn't prevail. But I thought. You can see, you know, she's a very different kind of a, a problem solver, um, and and it's a nice scene that I do I do like that, even even though she loses out to Rover. Meanwhile, back in London. Meanwhile. <laughs> meanwhile, back at the ranch. <laughs> yeah. Well, meanwhile, back at the Hope and Anchor, which, if we remember back to Checkmate, is uh, number six old pub that he he, yeah. uh, he he mentioned, and that that's. That's that's an okay kind of reference. This is one of the ones where I think, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. I like that one. And um, Lee has been his stereotypical uh, American, and putting ketchup on everything. Yeah, well, my son does that, so I don't know how American that actually is. Actually, I think that's kind of British behaviour as well, if, if truth be told. Um, 
And Lee's talking about our friend the High Eye, which I mean, satellite monitoring. Do you think? Possibly. Oh, yeah. T- t- you know, s- says that um, t- um, Drake has arrived. Um, uh, Lee. Uh, he says she was marooned in the village. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, the, Thomas is kind of worried. He, he's worried about all this now. It's like he's having second thoughts. I mean it. You know, yeah. obviously we know it was a stupid idea to begin with. Um, but I, I I, think we're kind of seeing Lee start to assert himself gradually now over Thomas. In, in all the meetings they're going to have from, from now on, Lee's going to uh, be more in command, while Thomas is going to be more on the back foot. Mm. And um, now, I honestly don't know how you pronounce this. Uh, Lee talks about uh, another... Hassenfuss fiasco. I'm sorry, I, I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation, but that that was all to do with the um, the Iran Contra affair, where Eugene H. Hassenfuss. And I'm sorry, I just I just can't pronounce that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if I put my teeth in it, I'll help. But he he was a United States citizen who was alleged to have been employed by the CIA after the aircraft he was aboard crashed on Nicaraguan soil. So he's, he's, we've got some real world, you know, we had spy catcher before, and, and we've, got, we've got some real world things creeping in, in a way that they didn't really in the Prisoner, um, uh, in the Prisoner TV series. And, and on, 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 on a news board, there's the, 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 this mention of Terry Waite, who was, uh, at the time, he, he, he was still being held ransom, uh, to ransom as a hostage um so uh, i mean what i think what i'm trying to get at in my roundabout way is where the prisoner tv series is kind of timeless if you squint at it through one eye Mm -hmm. um this is very much 1980s this is set in a particular time and place and i don't know how is is that a good thing or a bad thing i think that depends on how you look at it because um I mean, if you're looking at this as this as a period piece, you know, it, it can be good because it's tying it into real world events. But if you're trying to look at this as this is the now, then you know it, it doesn't work. I I actually think the comics more dated than the TV series because um, the TV series, you know, there were odd, you know, obviously, you know, the great big supercomputer in the general is kind of laughable to us looking at it, you know, from the 21st century, but. But mostly because the village has got its own fashions, its its own way of doing things, its its own world. It, it's not quite sedated. But but this constant toing and froing back to London, and we see people with eighties hairstyles and wearing nineteen eighties clothing. I think is far more dating. And I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. But that, I'll just throw that out there. Uh, I don't re- I don't know that I've got anything to add to that scene. So if it, um, unless you guys have, I'll I'll go back to uh, the village where Drake wakes up and meets uh, Leo McKern's number two. And um, one one thing I noticed, I it was funny. I, I don't think I noticed it back at the time, but I noticed it this time round reading it. I've not read this for a while. I must confess, was that was that the um, the butler. He's kind of in the shadows very much. Mm. He's, he's, he, you'll just sort of see him, you know, his feet by the stretcher or, or you know, a, 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 a bit at the front of his uniform when he's, cut, he's pouring the tea. 
what I, what I find quite interesting about this is the fact that they're actually in the Green Dome and not the hospital. Yes. I, f- I think they're saying that number two has taken power, though. Yeah. He's taken his power back. You know, yeah. this this is my domain, you know. Um, you know, it, it, it's his home from home. Yes. But, but this, this with the butler, I'd just like to dwell on it a, a little bit, because in the in the TV series, obviously, he was mute. Yeah. But it, it's kind of like now in the comic, he's become a shadow of himself. He, he, he's kind of, he's been diminished even further. Yeah. And after this scene, he pretty much fades away. I don't, I don't think we see him again. And um, I don't know if it was, it might have been. I'd, I, I'd, I'd love to ask um, Dean Motta if it was just sort of um, issues over the right to using his likeness or, or whatever. But after this scene, I, I don't think we see the butler again. They, 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 this is it. He's, he's, he's gone. Where does he go? It, 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 it's very odd. So uh, finally, Drake seems to realise that she's in the village. <laughs> it kind of, oh, I know you. You know, you know, I mean, she's been in this great big control room and seen the penny farthing on the beach and all the, the statues with circuitry stuff, you know, coming out their ears and down the noses. But she sees Leo McKern and she goes, ah, oh, I'm in the village. Right, that's where I am. Finally, I'm finally in the village. Finally makes sense where I am. Yeah. So what did you think of this scene? You know, the, the, the return of Leo McKern. I mean, he's regarded kind of, he's kind of regarded, he's not my favourite number two, but he is regarded as the best number two in general by, you know, mm-hmm. the majority of fans would probably, you know, if, if, if there was a beauty contest for all the number twos, they'd say, yeah, he's, he's the one, you know, we enjoyed the most. So how did you feel about the return of number, that number two, or could, could it have been any number two? Did it have to be Leo McKern's number two? Well, I think it had to be, considering, uh, you know... He was the one most obsessed with num- with number six, the entire series. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if they couldn't have got his, the rights to to Leo McKern, would you, would you have been happy with Anton Rogers from the schizoid man? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll take that as a no. <laughs> just, to, just Which, you know, considering he's probably the number two who gets the nearest to breaking number six, mm. is just throwing that out there. But, um, anyway, anyway... Oh, I've forgotten what I'm saying. But <laughs> we got this talk now. Uh, this talk now that leads up to. I, I don't want to narrate the whole thing. I mean, you know, if you, for people listening, if if you've not read the comic, I don't know why you're listening to this anyway. But you know, if you've not, go and read it, and then come back in a minute or two. You put us on pause, read the comic, yeah. come back, because they have this whole conversation about. Um, the village and who number six is and why number six was there and why number two was there. And we get into sticky territory now with the TV show because there is talk, number two mentions in passing, that number six killed him. Yeah. So we've got to start thinking about, in the comic book reality that we're reading now, mm-hmm. events must diverge at some point from what we saw in the TV series. And the comic book seems to suggest that number six had some sort of breakdown after the degree absolute mm-hmm. in Once Upon a Time. And that much of what happened in Fallout, we were seeing through number six's eyes and was going on in his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but part of Fallout was that number two was revived from the dead, un- unless he was just drugged to give the appearance of being dead. You, you, 
could sort of explain it away, say it was a drug that, you know, to all intents and purposes. I mean, we've seen this in lots of TV shows and movies. Um, I mean, I, I always do like the idea that he did die and they brought him back. And, you know, there really is no escape from the village, even even in death. But that's kind of something that belongs to Fallout as we saw it on TV, not not this version of events. Mm. So I don't know if you've got any thoughts about that. Also in, in Fallout, um, I felt that number two was inspired by number six to sort of turn round and, and spit in the eye. You know, he does. You know, shall, shall I give him a stare? And then he spits at number one's rocket, doesn't he? Yeah. He's, he's kind of inspired by number six to say, I gave in too soon. I'm, and now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to revolt. I'm going to turn against you. So I don't know why he'd be kind of... If that had happened in this universe, why he would hate number six and, and, and be back for revenge. Possibly. I, I, I don't kind of... You know, it, it doesn't quite gel for me. Um, I think... Well, actually, you made a, you, you kind of made sense of it right at the start of the show, because you said um, maybe he's the number two who went, for, went to prison for 20 years because he's the number two who turned yeah. on his mouth. yeah. And I thought that was a really good point because we, we're, we're going to see jumping ahead, but I'll mention it now. Mm-hmm. We're going to see that Mrs. Butterworth, who, who was also a number two, seems to have lived quite a you know a very good life. Yeah. She's done for herself mm. since the village was shut down. I mean, we'll we'll come to that later, but but I'm just you know just saying. So it doesn't it doesn't quite stack up any any of what is going on in this scene now with with what we've seen in the TV show. It's like there's an alternate universe version of fallout that dean motters see that that we haven't where the prisoners were released and number two went to prison uh for 20 years for some reason although also in this scene number two claims that when the village broke number six he was free to go well free to go where to jail yes you see my problem yeah with, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry i'm going all around the houses i'm mm. i'm sort of thinking out loud as, as we're going mm. and mm. it's not making sense but um yeah it doesn't stack up for me Someone else can have a turn to talk now because my <laughs> my tongue's getting dry. I need a drink of milk. Colin Gordon. Oh, are you actually Colin Gordon in disguise? <laughs> I'm glad you got the reference. Yes. Yeah. It, well, it's impossible to work out because because we don't know how much of what Number Two is telling Drake is true yeah. or, or a complete fiction. I mean, going back to Thomas, Thomas says that Number Two wants revenge, but Thomas is an idiot. Yeah. Number two claims that he feels sorry for number six and has actually come back to help him. That's what he's telling Drake at one point. And actually, I think if that were true, it might have made a better story in a way. Mm. So we've got this idea that, that, that number six was insane for Fallout, then that Fallout was a fantasy, even though we're going to see sort of locations from Fallout and and... and, and this number two talking about being revived, which we saw in Fallout. Mm. But, you know, I, I could quite buy into the idea of number six being insane. Um, I mean, even going back to the TV show now, I mean, if, if, if we go back to the, the previous confrontation between uh, number six and this number two in Once Upon a Time, I, I, I thought that number six's mind had snapped even before they got into the embryo room. Mm. I mean, you think about how witty Number Six was in Arrival, you know, with all you know all the witty comebacks, yeah. and, and then compare that to the guy in Once Upon a Time who's like striding up to random villagers in the street and saying, "How? One, two, 
three, four. You know, if someone sort of sat next to you on the bus and did that, you'd get off a stop early. You, you know, it. it so I, 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 I must try that next time on the bus. You, you must do. Yeah, you'll, you'll be the nutter on the bus, yes. for, you know, forever after. Mm. But you know, I, I think there's a good case for saying that number six was, was insane towards the end of the series. So you know, um, it what Dean Mott is suggesting with his comic isn't entirely inconsistent with the prisoner we saw on television. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think it's up to you as the reader if you like it or not. Um, that's pretty much the end of book B. Yeah, we're at the end of book B. Well, um, we did kind of gloss over a bit. Where, okay, uh, I'm sure we did. <laughs> number two's, uh, McKern's number two is talking to Drake, and he, she's showing, he's, uh, excuse me, mm. he's showing her slides of uh, number six, our number six, anyway. Yeah. But um, something, something struck me as odd is that is this is supposed to take place 20 years after the village was shut down. Yeah. Yeah. And But it wasn't destroyed. It wasn't destroyed. <laughs> Why wouldn't he use his name at this point? Because they've all lost their mind. He's completely <laughs> obsessed with number six. At least that is what I get from the audio version. That number two has completely lost it and is obsessed entirely with number six. I think bringing him back from the dead did something to his brain. Well, you know, he, they, they show that the aging slides in the in the comic where... It, and it's obvious they just took the... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Patrick McGowan's acting profile shot and just, you know, added age stuff to him, but eventually it gets down to where he's in the beard. Yeah. He's t- talking about how, you know, he, he had this code name and this code name. He was a valuable man who kept valuable secrets. And she a- and Drake asked him, you know, why do you think number this number six is here? And he's like, well, why wouldn't he be here? And that, that is just, like, the most flimsy possible explanation for why six has stayed in the village this long. I, th- I think that is the only explanation they give as to why he stayed. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me, storytelling-wise, why they would, you know, keep up the facade of calling him Six when basically the village is just, you know, nobody at this point. <laughs> yeah. And they, they, they do sort of come up for an explanation that um, num- number Six picked number one as his own number and this was the man who railed against numbers and that that's what finally drove him over the edge but you know i i'd be willing to concede he was he was well over the edge even by the you know by the start of you know once upon a time as i've said i i i think he probably snapped so you can make an argument for it and and um yeah i was i was willing to go along with that but yeah, why is everyone converging on the on the village now, 20 years later? Why has it been left 20 years before anyone's coming back? Um, I don't know. Because we're now finding it again 20 years later. Yeah, you know, it's just like, you know, well, we're doing the comic 20 years later, so, yeah. you know, 20 years later where everyone decides, oh, let's go and visit the village. Mm. Yep. I think it's time for my revenge, finally. Well, well, obviously, he's, he's been in prison for 20 years, but... Yeah. So, book C, confrontation, and um... A, B, and C. Ooh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. see, see what they did there. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Throne>. <laughs> so this um, is what this is what I mean when when I said earlier that the the in jokes start getting you know overly repetitive. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I I I would absolutely agree with that. I I think that's the downfall of of this comic really is um 
it's a good enough story in its own right. It didn't need quite as much of, of this referencing the, the, the TV show, just, you know, presumably to, to please the old fans. Because as an old fan, I wasn't pleased. I was getting annoyed. I, I didn't need that. Um, it's quite it's quite a nice opening to book C because we, we, we get... Um, I think Drake's upset. I think, I think... I mean, it's hard to tell quite with, with, with the way... that it, 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 It's so... The colouring is so heavy-handed. It looks like she's at the stone boat crying. She sort of turns around and looks over her shoulder uh, at the bottom of one page, and it looks like she's crying. I like that she's gone to a boat. I mean, she's got this affinity for the sea, and she's gone to even if it is made of stone. She's got she's gone there to kind of comfort herself. And we see number six joins her, but he, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't try to comfort her. He's he, he kind of it's like he's really communing with nature now. He 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 he. he uh, he walks out. He, he, he leaps off the side of the stone boat and goes along into the sea. And he's he's he, he, he sort of standing in front of the, the sunset with his arms raised. And Rover comes along, and it's like Rover's almost his companion in this scene. You know, it doesn't doesn't attack him. It's kind of it stands off like there's you know a certain respectfulness between these two old adversaries. Um, and it made me wonder. Has Rover been around for those 20 years and have they been keeping one another company in a way? Um, I don't, honestly, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, like, just throwing that idea out there. You know, I, I just, I, I kind of liked, I liked that thought. <laughs> but, but again, again, you know, obviously, um, you know, we, we saw in our version of Fallout, we saw Rover melt and bubble away to nothing. But, um, you know, Rover's, Alive and kicking, Un- unless it's one of those little uh, rover looks that so, would sometimes spin off the main rover. Maybe it's sort of grown up. Yes. <laughs> maybe throws a stick for it and it goes chasing after it along the base. It's rover too. <laughs> it, it's a, it's it's a baby rover all grown up. Uh I don't know if we've got anything to add to that scene, but um, I, I'm sure they were going for some symbolism in that, but honestly, it was kind of lost on me. I, I kind of like. I liked that. It was kind of. It was kind of change of pace and and not what I was expecting to open the comic. And and um, but but now it's time to jump back on the story. You know, it's kind of. Oh yeah, sorry, we got a story to tell here. So we we cut back to London. It's uh, six o'clock, and uh, my friend Thomas wakes up, and uh, he, he's got a phone call. It's a wrong number, but obviously it's a coded message yeah. from Lee to come meet me in the park or whatever. And well, while Thomas is waking up, he's he's listening to um, there's a mixture of news report. Uh, th- th- there's lots of news reports, and it's a mixture of real world and fictitious news items. And um, that was, I mean, I rem- you know, I I, I was 26 uh, back in 1988, and and it was a seriously depressing time. Uh, I, news is always bad. I mean, you, you can, you know turn on the news any day and, and, and they're not telling you anything anything to, to make your world better. Uh, they're not trying to put sunshine in your life. But back then we really had the shadow of nuclear Armageddon hanging over us again in the way that we'd not since the 1960s. It was like it's back! Um, and that's kind of the theme of this story you know, nuclear weapons later on and I, and I think that, you know, the reason is, is the time it's set uh, 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 back in the 80s. Um, 
And I think the concern this time was, was that we were worried that it was our own leaders rather than the other guys who might actually press the button, if you're with me. Um, however, if you want to get a feel for the 1980s and those, those dark times that um, I was talking about a century ago, um, check out a TV series called Edge of Darkness. Oh, I have that on DVD. You, right, Edge of Darkness. That really kind of sums up that kind of feeling of, you know, living in the shadow of the mushroom cloud that was going on in the 1980s. I mean, we forget now. We're so far away from it. But, you know, decades have passed. But but it had, you know, become a real fear again then. Mm. That's, if I can diverge, that series has a sense of a real gravitas to it. Yes. It, 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 it's, it, it's one of the, the, certainly one of the best series ever made. Definitely, definitely. definitely. It, it, it is a classic. It is a must-see. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd even say Thomas and Lee meet up, and uh, Lee's still wearing his uh, number five jersey, which which makes me think that he doesn't wash it. He, and he'd be quite he a pop pack... person if he goes around jogging in it all the time. So. You know, he, he only packed the one shirt. He didn't think he was going to be staying that long. So... <laughs> Anyway, well, they have they have a interesting conversation about uh, Mrs. Butterworth, wrong numbers, war during lifetime, uh, contingency plans, that kind of thing. Um, basically, just going over what they're going to do since they know that Drake is at the village now. Um, to the point where um, you know, they end uh, they end up talking about how um, crazy is what your wife is up against. The village is crazy. Going back to my annoyance that Thomas owns KAR 120C, yeah. apparently it was Mrs. Butterworth who, who gave it to Thomas. You know, re- remember she was driving, you know, she owned it in, well, we didn't see her driving about. Oh, we did see her driving yeah, we about did, we did, we did. Yeah, she we was did. driving about it in, in Many Happy Returns. Um, she, she must have kept it, and presumably the house as well, and, and um, pa- passed them on to um, the Drakes. And... Um, Again, that sort of goes against what we saw at the end of our version of Fallout. Mm. You know, what, what what was happening in Dean Motter's version of Fallout, we don't know. But at the end of ours, you know, um, Fallout was very much about a man taking control of his life again and take, taking what belonged to him back. Yeah. Um, and obviously that hasn't happened here yet. Well, um, would it? Oh, it's only been <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> it's only... You know, number six is only pushing like sixty now. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it turns out that, um, oh, but you know, by happy chance, Lee just happens to have funding and resources for a mission to the village, and Thomas isn't at all suspicious as to why Lee is helping him, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, just a favour no longer covers it. I don't think, but you know, this is how dim Thomas is. So you know. Honestly, I, I can't stress enough, you know, Thomas is, is an idiot. don't like him. Meanwhile, back at the village... <laughs> back at the village. Uh, Drake finds number six in the observation room. And for some reason, there, there are bits of uh, paraphernalia from TV episodes littering the place, like uh, there's an election poster uh, and an ape mask. Yeah. And... Um, this, uh, the, the <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting to some oh boy, do we get into some territory now? Um, we, we we get you know uh, pop goes the weasel, you know gets referenced, and and we all know yeah. the significance of pop. Yeah. Um, in in got, the prisoner. now. We got number six laying on the camera spinny thingy in the middle of the room. 
Yes. We never have found out what that damn thing is for. Oh, that lovely seesaw, yeah. That's the job oh. I'd get. If I, if I got sent to the village, they'd put me on that, and honestly, they'd need a bucket. By <laughs> um, and, uh, oh, and, and, and just to make, make things, you know, even more kind of uh, complicated, they, they start speaking in different languages. Um, I'm, kind, I'm kind of okay with the German, where uh, she's, she's asking him, uh, you know, why they don't use names, and, and he's kind of saying, well, you know, names are superfluous. And she's saying, well, what can I call you, Mr. Topsy-Turvy? I kind of like the name Mr. Topsy-Turvy, actually. You should have stuck with that one. Hi, I'm Mr. T-Turvy. Uh, and, and, but, you know, eventually, I mean, I can't understand what on earth they're going on about. <laughs> is it a Cyrillic alphabet they get into? I mean, I, I, is it Russian? I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, um, yeah, that's, that's a Slavic alphabet. Okay, I, I, I have no idea. We do get a translation for a little bit of it, but... If but if you, if you're feeling completely lost by that, and, and believe you me, I was. Uh, we suddenly cut to a one-page picture of Leo McKern dressed uh, as Napoleon, dressed as Napoleon, riding a rocking horse, waving an umbrella an umbrella about. I mean, being dressed as Napoleon was um, kind of Griffith's shtick from uh, the girl who was deaf. Mm. And then it was only in a story that number six was telling. So you tell me what's going on here. I, I really don't know. And I, I adore the prisoner, but that one lost me. I find it's best not to ask those kind of questions. <laughs> that yes. way lies death and madness. <laughs> questions are a burden to others. And, the prison, and answers are a prison, prison to oneself. Yeah. Uh, after that page, we cut to Thomas and he is talking to his boss again. Yeah. And, and this is where we get, we, we find out that Thomas was the ghost writer on the village idiot. Yeah, so he talks about how much he had to take out. Yeah. And he and, and he, he, he mentions that um Leo's number two was made the scapegoat for the affair. So I mean going back to Shane's idea that it's because he was the number two who rebelled against his masters. You know that that can, that really does fit, I I think. And um but shouldn't number two be going after his former masters instead of going after number six? I mean, may, you know, if he's gone to the village at all to find six, maybe it really ought to be to recruit number six to his cause. Say, you know, come on, these these guys, these arch archangels or gods, whatever they want to call themselves, they put us both in prison. Let's let's team up and hit them. But um, well, maybe uh, that's the reason why he wrote the book to get back at his former masters. Except he must have known it would be edited to death. He's not. He's not that stupid. That's true. That's true. So and maybe we want to try to slip under the under the radar, as it were. Well, there there are questions to be asked about the village idiot, and mm. and, and 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 it's not until issue four that they were, that someone is going to ask an important question about mm. it. We'll come back to that later. Yeah, please do. Because um, back in the village, we finally get some acknowledgement that there were other number twos besides Leo McCurry. Yeah. Because and, and it's nice this uh, number six leads Drake down a corridor that's decorated with framed pictures of previous number twos, <clears throat> and they might not have had the rights, but Ma Mary Morris and Darren Nesbitt are clearly recognisable in their portraits. Yeah. And uh, Mary's even wearing a Peter Pan gear from Dance of the Dead, which, which is a nice touch of far. And um, number six tells his story um, in the form of a, t a fairy tale about yeah. a knight who resigns from slaying dragons. And um, 
again, read the comic. I, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but it kind of ends with him pondering or wondering. He, he's not sure which side won in the end, the Knights of the Dragons. Mm. Yeah, how did how did that scene come across in the audio? Which scene? Uh, the one we were just talking about, where he's um, telling how he got there with the... In the form of a fairy tale, talk about yeah. knights fighting dragons. I really don't remember that scene being in the audio, the Broken Sea audio. It's such a good scene, I, I can't imagine it being caught. Maybe it I was. I don't recall that, actually. Like, I've only, I, I, like, like I, the Broken Sea podcast kind of really more focused between between Thomas and, then, and, and Drake. That's really kind of the main focus. It was on those two, and they're only like twenty minute piece. So I don't remember that scene really being in the audio that they did. I'll ask. I'll, I will have to ask the chap who who, who did the adaptation of it. Um, I don't, I don't ever recall it, hearing it either, and I've I listened to it uh, during the week. So it, it's 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 worth seeking out. I've not listened to it for a long time, I, not since it you know it was first sort of being put out, and you know I was waiting for the next episode mm-hmm. to come along and 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 i thought you know it's it's worth seeking out and there's also a sequel uh that they did yeah to, uh, no i have I have, if i'm honest with you i haven't actually listened to that so okay so i couldn't um listen i've got to admit i really hate cricket and the next <laughs> scene in this comic is about cricket I'm, i hate sport full stop um well, this... unless it's women's jello wrestling i don't want to know <laughs> So, if someone else wants to speak about cricket, Shane, um, please do. <laughs> now, this, these these couple of pages are what I was talking about earlier, where mm-hmm. unless you have seen the show and you know the scene they're referencing with this, you're this comes out of nowhere. I mean, granted, we get the the conversation about how um, you know you uh, you have to play the game if you want to um, get anywhere, and you have to play by the rules and all that between. Um, Lee and Thomas, but uh, they, I mean, they, they're only at the cricket match because there was a scene in The Prisoner where they were playing cricket. Yeah. Um, I'd, With exploding cricket balls. Yeah. Exploding cricket balls. We don't even get that this time. No, so we like, don't, oh. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, and I, then, I have nothing to say about that scene whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't really tell us anything that they're, other than that they're preparing to move. But then we go to the next scene, and on the at least in the version I have, there's, there's more of that incredibly murky artwork where yes. it's, yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell what's going on other than the fact that, you know, Drake and Six are talking. Mm. Yes. So the, there's a lovely, I mean, sadly, the, it is murky and, and I don't know whether that's deliberate or it's just the printing at the time or the fault of the colorist. You know, I, I don't want to be too hard on the colorist. You know, that might have been his, his instructions and, you know, you know, I, I don't do that job professionally for a living, so I don't, I don't want to knock anyone who does. But it's a shame because what I can see of the artwork through the Merc, there's this lovely picture of um, a really run-down, ruined battery square. Um, but it's, I, I mean, I, I, I go to Port Merion quite a lot. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a place I love to visit. And to see it in that state is quite shocking to me. Um, and now we get... We uh, are, are finally... Number six and number two face to face, which you know, you know, it's finally, you know, towards the end of issue three, three or B or six, sorry, B C, C. Um, <laughs> be seeing you. <laughs> um, 
they, 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 they come face to face and he's still wearing his Napoleon gear. So, yeah, I think it's fair to assume he's gone completely Bonzo Seiko. Mm. Yeah, something not right there, is there? I could, I could almost imagine, I mean, obviously this isn't in the comic, but I could almost imagine that he'd been kind of, number two, this is, uh, had been brainwashed mm-hmm. and sort of sent in a sort of Manchurian candidate style to get number six, you know, to go out, you know, that instead of focusing on getting revenge on his masters, who, who are his real enemies, if you, you know, if he stopped and thought about it for a moment, it's not number six who's his enemy. They've got a common enemy, but he's going after number six. So you could, you could almost imagine that he was brainwashed to sort of, you know, he's already got an unhealthy interest in number six. So to, to you know, send him into the village, you know, to, seek revenge or whatever I, I could imagine happening but as I say that's not in the comic and probably not what Mr. Motter intended so mm-hmm. just ignore me I'm rambling um, Six reveals that he thinks Drake is working for two and one of the reasons for that is that she's wearing a digital watch which to be fair to number six must look a hell of a lot more impressive than that old electro pass he saw in Arrival oh, yes. and um, now we get if you've ever wanted to see Patrick McGowan and Leo McKern toe-to-toe in the fight of the century. This is it. This this, this is for you now. Um, hang on a minute. Patrick McGowan and Leo McKern having a fight. And a pretty brutal, you know, no-holds-barred fight at that. It's just... I'm sorry, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I, I can suspend my disbelief about all sorts of things you're telling me in The Prisoner, but not Patrick McGowan and Leo McKern having... Being well matched in a fight. Yes, especially 20 years later. I mean, they throw out the explanation that, that Leo McKern's been working out in prison, in a, in a gym, looking after himself. But even so, I mean, number six has been roughing it and living off the land, you know. And and I'll bet he's still got that gym himself in the woods. I, I just, I'm sorry, but no, this, this, this is just too far-fetched for me. Um, no. <laughs> And it goes on this fight. It, it, it's like I don't know if you've ever seen that John Wayne film, uh, The Quiet Man, where there's a uh, there's a punch up near the end, and it, and it goes on like it just goes on and on and on. And they even stop for a drink in in the middle of the fight. Uh, you know, they have a pint together, and then they go back to fighting again. And it's like that almost with 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 the, with the you know the two opponents sort of fighting their way through the village um, to, to this uh, to the, to that watermill. Um, right, yeah. Before. Um, I don't. I, it's um, one interesting thing about it is, is while they're fighting, um, number two's taunting number six, and and he tells him that his information is irrelevant and useless now. It's pointless yeah, it's that he stayed in in the village twenty years. N- no one cares anymore. It's it's um, you know all that information's passed its sell by date. Mm. Uh, but given how much of the village idiot had to be censored, that's probably not true. So. Uh... Hey, number two lying, there's a surprise. Yes, indeed. Oh, well, that's um, never uh, happened. What are you talking no. about? So, and, 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 anyway, uh, this, 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 this massive fight that just goes on and on and on and on, it, it's finally uh, resolved with um, number two sort of uh, going over the, uh, the wheel of the, the watermill, isn't it? It's, uh, it's so murky, it's hard to tell, but... Um, it, yeah. Well, I think, it's not suggested I think it's supposed to be that both of them went over. Both, both of them have. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't yeah. argue with that. It's just so murky. Um, I, Dean Motter's artwork's lovely, but I, I and I really do like it. But the colouring just, just 
you know, and I'm, 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 I'm getting old and my eyesight's not so good anymore. <laughs> um, so that's kind of a, you know, they, 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 you know, they go off, you know, off this wheel and we cut back to London and there's this, it's the funeral of that poor old Martin Lake guy. That that poor cyclist, uh, motorcyclist rather from from, yeah, <laughs> from on, yeah. uh, book one, you know, he's he's kind of, he's gone, but he's not forgotten. It, it reminds me of that henchman who gets killed in the Austin Powers movie, and then we cut <laughs> to his family all mourning him and getting ready to hold a party for him and talk about how how loved he was. Well, this this um, Martin Lake's so loved that if you look in the in, in at the people who were mourning him, you've got James Bond and Steed and, Miss, and Mrs. Peel. What? Well, he, he he was an important spy. Come he, on. He must have been. But um, to be honest, that I mean, when I saw James Bond and and, and Steed and Mrs. Peel, I just thought, well, first I thought, shouldn't it be Gambit and Purdy with with Steed? And then I thought, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this has just taken me right out of the story. We, we we've just had this massive fight, all this intensity going on, this big confrontation, and then we've got an in joke. And it just totally undercuts what we've seen before, and it, and it's a shame because the rest of this scene, you know, they've got they've got this um, Anglican hymn uh, being sung, and and it uh, where the emphasis is on the on the word one and captives, and and and, it, and it's really clever, you know, he's, he's found him where the words will mean something completely different to a prisoner fan. but he's just he, that that stupid in joke with Steed and Mrs. Peel and James Bond. It just kills it, it for you. Me. Kills it for you, doesn't it? It, it, it really, it, it killed it stone dead. What a shame. Anyway, the great cliffhanger for the, for this episode. Okay, if, you know, we, we, we've got you whipped up to fever pitch now. The great cliffhanger is that number six shaves off his beard. Dan, dan, dan! Banana. And, and then a huge lightning bolts. Yeah. And Over five one, panels. <laughs> And hey man, you got that big of a beard. It clearly takes that long to shave it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, then we're at the end of book C. We go to departure. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, did I say end of book D? I do apologise. It's the, the next book is book D, departure. Yes. And um, very different opening. You know, I was talking about you know sort of the last opening where you had that scene which kind of stood out with number six communing with nature, which was I liked. Obviously. But 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 now uh, we open with. A view screen showing bloody Martin Lake's funeral and his accident simultaneously. I mean, this, this guy gets so much attention. Yes. Um, we didn't know him. I, I actually, it kind, of, it's kind of, it kind of appeals to me on some level that, that that this you know this person who was just in the background in in, in a few panels is is kind of you know quite important. It does appeal to me. Um, but other people might be scratching their heads, and I, I wouldn't blame. And Ross confides in Colonel Jay, they're, they're at the funeral, that he thinks that a single intelligence, one, is behind a lot of recent events. And there's a little story going in the, on in the background. And, and again, this is, you know, Dean Motto with, with his artwork. You know, you, you know, don't just read, look at the pictures where, um, someone seems to have tampered with the Colonel's car and a suspect's been grabbed by security in the background. And the man in the hat is sneaking off. You know? mm. um, I kind of liked that. Um, horrible Thomas is there, and he's he's leading little Megan away, and she's not see you know just behind her. There's sort of security guards leaping on this poor bloke who's probably completely innocent. Um, back at the office, 
Um, Ross finally links Lake to Drake and Thomas with an autopsy courtesy of a Mr. or certain Dr. Sid Rafferty, which is in another, which is another sort of annoying in-joke to, um, I don't know if you guys know that Patrick McGowan later did a series in America called Rafferty, where he played that character, Dr. Sid Rafferty. I did not. Okay, so that's, that's kind of, you know, a, a little in-joke. An, another in-joke that, that takes you right out of the story. Mm. And um, he's, uh, Ross is looking at footage of Drake's uh, departure when she, when she set off in the vocal blade. And now he sees uh, Lee handing off a floppy disk to Thomas uh, under the cover of a handshake. So finally, he goes to check on Thomas and finds that those files he was shredding earlier are all the documents on the village. Mm. So um, he checks Thomas's diary, which is uh, for November 6, which he might write as number 6, you know, if you, you know. I use his uh, to-do list. Yeah, and uh, Ross sees that uh, Thomas has an appointment with Mrs. Butterworth. So uh, Ross heads on over there. And, uh, oh, the tell you what. The man is still watching. <sighs> Mrs. B's got a far more agreeable person opening the door for her these days than she used to have in a TV uh, episode. Um, oh, and we can see, I don't know if you noticed this, but there's some bushes in front of the mansion. And behind the bushes, we can see the man in the hat, like, standing over the dead body of a guard. Yeah. But it's, it, it's in, in my copy of the comic, it's, it's really the colours so overdone. That you can barely make it out, you know. It's, yeah. it, it's you know, I I only noticed it the second time round. Um, so Ross is visiting with Mrs. Butterworth, and this I think he he now asks the most important question in the whole story. He he asks her about the village idiot because she's she's reading a copy, and he says, "Why was it written?" And no no one else has been asking this really. You know, I mean, you'd think that. Um, Whoever is in charge, these arch, uh, uh, these arch, I can't call them archangels, archangels or gods, whoever, would have arranged an accident or, or maybe, you know, a heart attack for number two. So, you know, so there wouldn't have been any need of this book. Uh, but Mrs. Butterworth replies, well, the village was a prototype. So put that together with the fact that after 20 years, a lot of people are sudden, suddenly descending on the village not to excavate it. Maybe they're there to bury it in order to make way for Village Mark Two. Mm. if you start joining the dots together. Mm. Uh, we find out that uh, Thomas was Mrs. Butterworth's protégé, which might account for someone so obviously lacking in intellect working in the in intelligence services. <laughs> um, oh, and there's some poetic justice. I mean, Miss, uh, Mrs. B gave that wonderful Lotus Seven to Thomas, so she's murdered by the man in the hat, and I can't deserve <laughs> Hey, you really hate the fact he got that car. I hate... Oh, oh, my goodness. Back in London, uh, Ross has Thomas's office searched. He, 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 you know, the, the lads come in and really turn it over. And um, Ross finds uh, a good old-fashioned floppy disk. Yay! It's a 3x5 floppy. Yeah. And it contains the whereabouts of the village. So um, we next see um, a team is being dispatched to the village. And uh, Ross gives them a briefing. And I, I'd just like to point out, uh, there's another mistake here, Mr. Motter, if you're listening. Um, when you point to Telford's Tower, that's that's not Telford's Tower, that's the Campanile. And, and I know, because I was staying in Telford's Tower two weeks ago. So. <laughs> um, Ross wants any documents, files or evidence to be retrieved. 
again, why wait 20 years? And why wasn't the place destroyed when it was shut down? You know, you'd think it, it, it would have been raised to the ground, but it was, it's, it's been left there. So I don't know if you, you guys have any thoughts on that. Why leave the village standing? Um, I'll save my thoughts on that till the end. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, in the green dome, Thomas and Lee observe the parachutes and uh, they know they need to crack on now or they'll be discovered and captured. And I think it's becoming clear even to Dopey Thomas now that Lee is in charge of this expedition. And it's also really obvious now that Lee knows more about the village than Thomas does. Um, Lee doesn't give a fetid pair of Dingo's kidneys for any data that's stored in Number Two's control room. His objective is below ground. Somehow he knows he he knows where to go, which, which is all highly suspicious. So we so they go underground, and we find Lee and his team and Thomas the sort of wandering around the sets from Fallout. Yeah. Which again, you know, how how. With all the contradictions we've heard to, to the version of Fallout that we saw on the, on the TV screen, how is that even possible? I mean, they, they walk down a hall of jukeboxes. Oh, and one of the jukeboxes, there's a little, uh, one of them's, um, the brand name is Tomblin, which was um, obviously a little nod of the head to David Tomblin. Yeah. Um, so they, they, they find the, um, the cavern set from Fallout and they go in and discover a raving mad number two throned at last. Yeah. By the way, whatever happened to the butler? Where did he go? You know, did, did number two send him away? What, what happened? That's, not, that's just never explained. And we also find out that Drake's Christian name is Alice now, which again ties him and the whole Alice in Wonderland mm. shtick that's been going on and probably comes as a surprise to absolutely no one. Yeah. The thing is, um, that, uh, yeah. in this whole, and like right before this whole sequence, uh, we find that Thomas's whole reason for coming here was just to get her out. Yeah. I mean, he, he mentions that uh, he spent two years doing research on the village, which, mm. you know, it's been around for like how long? The whole two years to find it? But what? <laughs> anyway, but, uh, you know, he's trying to talk to um, uh, number two about where Alice is, and she's like, oh, your wife, she's below. And they go down the uh, tubey things from Fallout into the orbit chambers. Mm. But, you know, if if Thomas's whole purpose in going to the village was to get his wife out, maybe he shouldn't have sent her there in the first place. <sighs> Note to self. Well, they, they mentioned that in the earlier conversation that they were talking about um, they just wanted her ship to go by the village, and that the storm marooned her there, because they they wanted to get more data. Yeah, I suppose that kind of works. Although I I, I do still suspect that Lee engineered her sort of landing there mm. to, to, to get Thomas on board, so to speak. You know, with hey. you know, getting this whole expedition going. Anyway, and then we find what's at the heart of the village: nukes. Yeah, armed and ready to go. Again, it's that 1980s preoccupation. With nuclear Armageddon. To quote, to quote the audio drama, nuclear never goes out of style. Yes. <laughs> um, at which point, number two decides to launch the nukes um, with the doors of the chamber closed, yeah. so as to destroy the village. And this, this is the man who once dreamed of a whole world as the village, yeah. and he's about to destroy it. Um, Lee, or should we call him number five now? I think, you know, it's kind of obvious, you know, he, he is number five. Uh, he makes like a shepherd and gets the flock out of there, leaving Thomas behind with a cheery, be seeing you! 
which um, I thought was nice. I'd have done that as well. I'd, I'd have left Thomas to that. <laughs> oh, just before the mushroom cloud goes up, it, it's worth noting that, that Ross's team, uh, they can find no sign of Drake, number six, or, or Drake's boat. But what they do find is a discarded flare gun and a deflated rover. And it reminded me of that Simpsons episode, even though this was before <laughs> that. You know, <laughs> it, did, it did make me think of uh, number six popping rover. Anyway, number two gives us a, a countdown from ten to one, uh, missing out six naturally. And boom, the village is wiped from the face of the earth and two with it. And Thomas. Mm, good. <laughs> good riddance to bad rubbish. <laughs> Indeed. So back in London, we've got some, some loose ends to tie up now. Um, Ross discovers that Lee wasn't working for the Americans. He was one of ours, British intelligence. So maybe it was all an act, all that, you know, the over-the-top, stereotypical um, American was very deliberate, you know. Um, Ross has also now got pictures of the mysterious man in hat attending all the major incidents yeah. in, the, in the London bit of our tale so far. So he goes to talk about he goes to talk to Colonel Jay, but he finds that Colonel Jay has been replaced and it's been done much in the style of a new number two taking over in the village by a new colonel. And worse still, the new colonel is the man in the hat, although he's not wearing the hat now. Uh, the, the new colonel demands Ross's regnet. So I'll read that again. The new colonel. Re, um, whoa, hang on, get me teeth in. The new That's colonel demands Ross's resignation, but Ross refuses to give it. And strangely, it's his refusal to resign that sees him getting a visit from the village undertakers. Yes. Ah, but you say, the village has been destroyed. Well, we'll come back to that in a minute. Yes. Drake and number six, who've been conspicuous by their absence this issue, this issue finally appear to say their farewells. Um, it looks like number six has regained his sanity. Um, and again, I, I said earlier that I, I, I always felt that Fallout was about a man taking control of his life again. Well, that didn't happen in this universe until now. I think the moment when he shaves off the beard. Number six has regained his sanity. And Drake is reunited with her daughter. And they're both, they're both free. Or are they? Because they're being watched on the view screen of an updated and upgraded village control room, which it seems is located in Westminster. The bum, whole bum, bum. earth as the village. That was the old number two's dream. So maybe he won after all. The end. Comments. That was the end of the year. So, so what did you think of the? So, so um, I what did you think? I'm interested in hearing this myself, actually. Aaron, go first, please. I think, like from the audio perspective, I missed out on a lot of you know the stuff you, you've been mentioning. The well, particularly kind of just. Yeah, you know, you saw this guy or you caught this guy. Yeah, in the audio, they mentioned that Thomas didn't see the guy that was following him to Alice's place. Yeah. And that turned out to be one of theirs. And I feel like with, with the audio, I, I missed out on it. Granted, I, at least I was able to get, you know, some of the story. But I feel like from an audio perspective, from, from, from what you guys saw and what I listened to, it's a very different thing and that's maybe why i've been completely disengaged almost this entire podcast because while listening to it i feel like i was just minch missing something the entire time listening to it compared to what you guys were from reading it uh, sorry oh i mean that's my own fault for not well, being able to pick it up i mean no, i wish, wish we could have got you a copy yeah. you know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sorry that you know you, you weren't able to kind of engage so much because of that because you know it would have been nice to hear more from you but you know i mean the audio is limited to 20 minutes 
per episode, so 20 minutes per... About 20, yeah, 20, 22 minutes. Yeah, including. including... And that's one episode per book. And it cuts so much stuff out. I mean, the mis- mis- and that's I'm very much mistaken, and you'll, you'll know this better than I do. Um, uh, the uh, Mrs. Butterworth scene is completely cut out as well. Yep. Mm. That's an important scene, really, mm. as well. Mm. Because, as I say, Ross asks the most important question in the whole story. Mm. You know, why was the village idiot written? Mm. You know, and that really is, you know, it's the question everyone should have been asking right mm. from the beginning. Mm. Anyone else? <laughs> um, yeah. Again, this this seems like something that was written uh, by you know prisoner fans for prisoner fans. Mm. Um, there, there isn't a lot of engagement um, for for new people to come and pick this this book up. Um, it it kind of backpedals on a lot of the stuff we saw in Fallout. Um, I with the way Fallout ended, I don't see why Six would go back to the village and spend twenty years in isolation there. I I don't understand why Leo McKern is thrown in jail and then writes a tell-all book and then becomes Napoleon. Um, uh, our POV character is supposed to be Alice but she doesn't do anything she is completely superficial to the plot Mm. plus she she gets rewarded at the end for being a terrible mother Mm. (laughs) you know uh, one of the things I wanted wanted to mention is that she when she's talking about why she uh, resigned Mm. one of her things was that she wanted her freedom and so she she separated she legally separated from her husband, quit her job, yeah. threw her kid in a boarding school. You know, I, I'm I'm sorry, but you know that that is not what a good parent does. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, you you want to go on an expedition to go sail around the world, fine, but don't do it as a as an excuse to get away from your kid. Yeah, you know, and then you know she she is really kind of a terrible person. I mean. <laughs> She she doesn't she doesn't do anything or say anything that affects the plot in any way. She she abandons all of her responsibilities to go on a worldwide sailing cruise, and then she gets rewarded for it. And you know her her husband, who while he may have been a bit of a prat, didn't seem like a bad guy, ends up getting nuked. <laughs> uh, I mean seriously, the guy the guy tries to go stop number six or or number two rather. From blowing up the island. I'll say this: and... you, you have just turned my view. That 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 is such a good argument. My view of Alice. You've you've just turned about face because I found her quite an engaging character. But listening to what you've just said, I couldn't disagree with, with a word of that, mate. Yeah, I mean, you, she... you're absolutely on the button. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my no- my other problem is that you know uh, most of the important stuff in this story doesn't happen in the village. It doesn't involve six, it doesn't involve two, it involves all the background players playing politics and setting up their supposedly world uh, village. Yeah. And, you know, well, well, especially in the 80s with British politics, I can understand the, um, like, the super conservatives are getting power and it seems like we're regressing and we did that in America too with, Mm -hmm. with Reaganomics and the super spending and you know, it. You know, a, a worldwide government like that, I, I don't actually think that would work. No. You know, that's that's just 
you know, there's too much, too many people to control, too much dead space. Mm-hmm. You know, it, for for what this story is, you know, art wise, I liked it for the most part, except for when they go into the photorealism where everything gets murky. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you know our arguably our bad guy is Lee, and he never gets his comeuppance. You know, yep. we we never find out what happens to this guy. He he runs away. Yeah, it's it's not a bad story, but it's a bad prisoner story. Hmm. Okay, interesting. There are worse. I'll tell you that there there are novels uh, that that were put out in the nineteen seventies, and and I I don't know if Shane's intending to cover them. I'm at all. not. No, I'm not. I've never read. Well, it's, but for the best, because they they are truly dire. You know, I I wouldn't recommend any of them. Um, to, the, the, there were some good ones written. Well, there was a good one re, uh, written recently uh, by Powis Media. Put two books out. They they, they were going to put out a series of six prisoner books, but un, unfortunately they folded, and, and and never got to do the, the full six. But the first of that range, uh, called the Prisoner's Dilemma, is is brilliant. I mean, it's I really enjoyed it. It, it felt, you know, it, it really caught the atmosphere of the original. There were, there were only a couple of times um, that I kind of, you know, there were, there were a couple of bum notes, but, you know, that was a much better book. But, um, yeah, going back to the 1980s, I think, I think we could have lived without this sequel. I don't, I don't think The Prisoner really needs a sequel. In fact, I think you're, you're, you're kind of onto a bit of a loser because Patrick McGowan... You know, he, he wrote that final episode. Mm. He is Mr. Prisoner. Yeah. You know, to, to, to walk up to him and say, actually, what you wrote sucks, so I think I've got a better idea and I'm going to write a sequel about it. You know, he's, he's kind of brave, really. Although I, did, I, I was told that Ma- that uh, Patrick McGowan didn't entirely hate... Did. Yeah, no, he didn't. Story. No. I think that's the quote. Yeah. And I thought that would be a great, great thing to put on, on, on the top of the book, actually. Patrick McGowan didn't entirely hate it's... this. Um, yeah, I think it was. He said something about it. it was like it wasn't. Ter- it wasn't like completely terrible or something like that. Yeah. Or, or he didn't completely hate it or something like that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he read the the nineteen seventies novels that, that they put out. Appar- apparently, the uh, the writers wanted to know if Patrick McGowan was looking at them at all. So they they they, they were quite deliberately saying that uh, number six was John Drake. Because they knew that Patrick McGowan would veto it if he was reading the books. Well, obviously he wasn't because because the books went through with these references to yes. him being Drake or JD, which you know to me is appalling because you know I'm I'm very much in the uh, no, they're two completely different characters camp. So I'll, I'll look, I'm just I'm just thinking about this comic now though. From the I mean there are a lot of people who do like to think that John Drake and Number Six are the mm. same person. So what would be the significance to those readers? And maybe someone will write into your podcast now, Shane. Yeah. The, the, this girl is called Alice Drake. Um, I, I don't know if that's a married name. I don't, I don't think we hear Thomas being called Thomas Drake. I mean, I mean it could I, be a maiden name, Drake. You I, know I don't think his, his last name is ever mentioned. No. Well, he's called, he's called Thomas Drake in the audio, and, it's, and it's, they say that they're either dating, engaged, or married. Like they're married, I think. In yeah, the audio, they I are. Remember. Yeah. So, and that, and that's why they're all, they're they're questioning Thomas the entire time because she's your wife. Where did she go? <laughs> yes. Strangely enough, that might come over better in in the audio than it did in the comic. But I, I I do 
I did enjoy it, you know, for what it was. I mm. did enjoy it. Uh, I, 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 you know, um, I, I think Dean Motter came up with an engaging story, and uh, I did like the artwork despite the colouring. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Cool. Brilliant. Has anyone got any more to say on this? Yes, indeed. Well, uh, nobody's left us any feedback for this. Really? Yes, nobody emailed yeah. in, unfortunately. Nothing, nothing on the spoilers group? Nothing at all, unfortunately. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. So, but... Uh, I guess we'll have to cut the show, show short tonight. Yes, indeed. Uh. In, indeed, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh, but what we will be reviewing next is the first episode of the remake. <coughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that was him actually coughing or him calling it crap. There was no remake. They didn't make a remake, Shane. Now stop it. I told you this before. The AMC attempt at trying to make this. Yes. Right, I, Starring Ian McKellen and Jim Caviezel. I, I don't think I'll be asked on as a guest for this because... Um, I, want, a, a, I want him to feedback us. I want to read his feedback now. <laughs> Uh, yes, I might do that. Yeah. Please email in your feedback ad. The prisoner intro cast at gmail dot com. Excellent. And, and, and remember, remember, folks, who would you have cast to play Alice Strait in in a TV version? In 1988, not not now, not you know. Don't pick someone who wasn't even born back then. Who in 1988 would you have chosen? I wasn't even born then by 1988. Yeah, but um, you know, you bought you you know, you young. Do a bit of research. I'm saying, use your imagination. Go, you know, imagine you're a TV producer in 1988, and and you're looking at people. Well, maybe not just for who would you cast as Lee? Who would you cast as Thomas? I mean, you some flaky half-wit, no doubt. You know, you know who, who would you cast as these people? It'd be, it'd be interesting to know. I hope you'd cast Patrick McGowan as number six, but, you know, <laughs> who knows? People are strange. Indeed, indeed. As, as I said, you can uh, leave it feedback at theprisonerintrocast.gmail.com uh, You can find this on Facebook. Just search for In the Village A Prisoner Introcast. You can find us on Twitter at Prisoner Intro. Uh, I've been tw- I've been tweeting uh, during the episode tonight. Uh, yes, uh, as I said, we're doing the first episode of the remake. <laughs> but yes, uh, thanks f- uh, for the to the band. Do not forsake me and my darling. That for letting us use their music. Uh, you can find them at do not forsake dot com. And please come on the show, Sophia and Michael. We're not we're not begging you, but. Um, Oh yes, come on the show. Yes. <laughs> We're not begging you, but please, please, please come we, on the show. We've been asking you since like episode two. Say goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Be seeing you.